to our scripture, and we've got three passages we're going to be looking at today. The first one is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And Isaiah writes these words, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then the words of Jesus come to us from John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And then from Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and you prayed this earlier, the closing lines of the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together for our pastor as he comes to share this morning. Lord Jesus. We have worshipped you with our hearts already, with song, and, and Lord, with our, our minds set upon your scripture, Lord. And as Pastor Mike comes today, we pray, Lord, that we might also worship you by listening to his words, Lord, as they've come directly from you. Father, fill him with your spirit, and fill your church with ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. We should all be nice and rested and ready to go, right? We got that extra little sleep and uh, prayer time or whatever you use that hour for, so we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, <clears throat> later today, we're going to celebrate the high act of Christian worship, which is Holy Communion. And Holy Communion, um, if you've never been here before, we take it in a very simplistic way, and we invite you to take it with you, with us. We, we believe in the open table of communion, which means that if Jesus Christ is yours and you're his, then you're invited to come forward. And when we get to that moment, uh, Keith and Vicki and, and an acolyte will be at this end of the, uh, of the rail, and they'll have a tray of bread, and you're simply to come and take a piece of bread uh, dip it in the cup, uh, receive it yourself. We won't handle the bread for you. You handle it yourself. And then come towards the center aisle and pray as long as you'd like, and then um, go ahead and, and move back through the center aisle to your seat. Um, so please feel invited. And if you're one of our communion stewards that takes communion out to the, home, to, to the homebound or uh, those in the nursing home, pick up your bag on the way by. That's what these are for, uh, and they're blessed as, as we bless. Now today... Um, those of you that have been coming every week for a long time, you're going to notice something different in the communion baskets. And I tell you this um, first by way of, of theological explanation and second just as a warning. Um, in the basket, like the basket you see in front of me, there's going to be various kinds of breads from pita chips to rye breads to marble breads to white breads. 
that are theologically there, as you heard from the Scripture a few moments ago, to remind us that God is for all people, that all the nations in God's plan come to Him, that, 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 that history ends in the faithful from all nations coming to God. Now, I tell you that as a theological point, and then as a very pragmatic United Methodist point, when you get there, this is not a buffet. Don't choose the selection. Just take, take the ones here. I know you people. I don't want this one. And so, uh, but, but taste it. And, and we pray that as you taste it, and it's a little different than what you... Go, and as always, the gluten-free will be in the glass dish. So if you need gluten-free, it's in the glass dish. But at, at, when you taste it, and then it's a little different than maybe you taste last month or the months before that, you'll be reminded that, that maybe we took process the same way and we received communion the same way today. But differently, we're to remind ourselves that God is for all people in all the world. So, so please uh, pay heed to that. Now, our talk for today. Ready? Engaged? The mission statement of our church is what? The mission of the church. You guys are getting better and better. 18 words. And, I, and, and we're, we're telling you that because we want to embed that in your hearts and souls. Because here's the thing. I went to get milk the other day. And I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but milk is not a long-term investment. Okay? When I go there, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe you can get 10 days out of it. You know, and I, I'm not as tall as some of you, but I'm looking in the back saying, where can I get something into the second week in November, right? Because, I mean, let's be honest. We're empty nesters now. We used to go through a gallon of milk every two days. Now it's like a month and a half or something, you know? And, and so... I'm reaching back in there. I get, you know, I was so excited. I was so excited because I got a November 10th, all right? That was pretty exciting. I got November 10th and I took it out. But that's not a long-term investment. That, that, has, that is a perishable resource. But, but I tell you that statement on your screen right now, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is, is to make disciples of, of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's not a short-term investment. See, Pastor Keith and I and Vicki and our whole team are, are up to something important here, up to something good to, to help you understand that that's our long-term investment because we believe that that's what God is up to through us and up to about us right now. And so we're praying it, we're working it, we're, we're distributing it, and, and this is going to be, it already is, I think, but it's going to be our long-term DNA. And so it's a lot more important for you uh, to, to dig that into your heart as part of the congregation of First United Methodist Church uh, to, to, to remember that and to know what it means and to live it through uh, so that we can grow the church uh, the way God would have it be. And you always have to be looking forward. I came across a guy in my first ministry named Lyle Harler, and Lyle Harler was a visionary. We were getting ready to build a very simple fellowship hall onto the church, and he was adamant, 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 on the lower level and the upper level, building walls where the doors to the next building would be. We, we built steel frames and then cinder blocked these out so that when we built in the future, some day in the future, then when we got the next building built right next to it, we could just knock those, those blocks out and, and expand. Well, guess what? 
Lyle, Lyle's vision was exactly important. He was, he was way ahead of his time. His vision looked long-sighted in, in ways that we couldn't necessarily see. He could see into the future of what might become of that particular church. He was before his time. When, when he was the chair of the building committee, he, he arranged rooms with ergonomics in mind, which we hardly did back then in the 80s, where people could walk real easy and not smash into You know, he built like a narthex, a little bit larger than the one we have, uh, so that at the end of service, you didn't get the feeling of saying, God bless you, get out, you know? You can, I mean, that feels that way when you have 945 service and that sort of and, and so he built ergonomics, and I tell you what, he designed this kitchen that was bigger than our chapel. I kid you not. You people that work in the kitchen all the time, wouldn't that have been awesome? But he saw what was happening in the church. Now, he could see so far because he had this vision in his mind of, of where the church could go. Now, his vision wasn't perfect. I'll, I'll tell you this. His vision was not 2020. We ran a mile, an entire mile of coaxial cable in that church preparing for the day where satellites would completely be our teachers in Sunday school. That never has come to light quite yet. We also built a youth room for 40 students. And by the time we baptized the youth room, we had about 150 coming to youth ministry. So luckily, (laughs) there were doors built on the other side of the building through which the new building can be built. You know, human beings, we do our best to see what's in the future. We, we, we see as far as we can see, knowing what we know now. We, <clears throat> we cast out a vision and say, this is where we believe we're to go. And our visions have limits. Our, our visions have limits because they're simply omnipotent. Not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. They're not omniscient. They're not all-seeing. We can't see everything there is. But our wonderful God, on the other hand, sees it all. He sees everything that was, is, and is going to be. He saw before time was, and he was managing everything that there was. And during time, which is the period in which we're living right now, God sees everything. And at the end of time, when time concludes, God sees it all. And I say this simply to show you this, that God has a comprehensive vision. He has an absolutely comprehensive vision of his kingdom. God has a comprehensive vision of the kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. That, which means there comes a time when, when everything comes to an end. And the last times is the pointer to that. Now, we don't sit around thinking uh, and talking a lot about the fact that that, oh, we've got to get ready, the last times are coming. But we do understand that in Scriptures, it's absolutely clear that there is a last day. And that there is a moment where God will take everything that He's created, and He will bring it to Himself. And He will discard that which has not been useful to Him, and He will include in His coming kingdom that which has. See, God's kingdom shall not end. Everything we see ends. But God's kingdom never ends. And it's for all who choose him to be their king. And it's forever. And it's forever. See, important to a kingdom, the kingdom has to have a king. The kingdom absolutely has to have a king. And I will tell you this, that God, that good leadership is the key to any kingdom. And our king, the king that we ascribe to, King Jesus, is qualified. 
in the scriptures, he calls himself the great I am. Look what it says uh, in, in Exodus 3.14. Jesus uses the phrase, I am. He uses that statement a lot of time to, de- to depict who Jesus is and what his ministry is going to be about. And Jesus purposely looked backwards into the scriptures that people had in their hands that time and used a phrase that would make people think of the Old Testament name for God. For when God and and Moses were having conversation, God says to Moses, I am who I am. That means I am everything you're going to need. Everything that is, I am. I'm all that is. And this, says God to Moses, is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am sent me. Now Jesus uses the same phrase. He uses the phrase I am in reference to himself to, to, to show that, that, Moses, that, that he's the same I am that Moses met at the burning bush. Jesus uses I am to, to show in many ways the kind of king he is. Listen to some of the things he says about himself. <clears throat> I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Excuse me. <clears throat> if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The point is, Jesus is everything to us. He's everything to us, and he's the only way of God. Thus, when he says this about himself, thus when he says what the screens say, I am the good shepherd. It's not random. It's not a random thought that Jesus has. He says, I'm the good shepherd purposely because shepherd is one of the characteristics and qualities of the king that's to come. Look at what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel says. Take a look at the screen. Ezekiel 37, 24 says, my servant David. Now, understand this, you good students of the scriptures, that when the Old Testament says my servant David, or David your king, it oftentimes is talking about the coming Messiah. So David is a summary phrase that talks about the Messiah to come. So when it says, my servant David the king will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, they will follow my laws, and keep, be careful to keep my decrees, what it means is that all of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, English-speaking, non-English-speaking, and others, has one shepherd. There is one shepherd over all the world, and he is the king, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the shepherd will lead the flock. See, sheep need leaders. Any of you have any experience with sheep? You know, when I lived in western Colorado, you know, you you people have had experience with sheep, you know this. We had a guy once, I saw him in the afternoon, and he said to me, his name was Les. Les was on the board of trustees of the church, and he says, hey, pastor, I'll see you this afternoon. That was at 4 o'clock. I'll see you tonight at the trustees meeting. I said, cool. Les doesn't show up. And that's before cell phones, email, and all that kind of stuff. Got home, you know, a little cassette tape in my little phone recorder said, Hey, Mike, sorry I didn't make the meeting. One of my sheep jumped into the barbed wire, and the rest of them followed him. Because that's what sheep do. They follow the one that's out in front. So he spent his whole night taking apart his barbed wire fence, trying to take care of his sheep and get them. But the fact of the matter is this that the shepherd leads the flock and the sheep need a good leader 
The flock needs a good leader, which is why God tells him that, 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 that we, tells us that he is coming as the shepherd. And shepherds keep the flock together. If you've ever seen a shepherd work a flock, and I've seen it many times. I've seen it on horses. I've seen it on, on, on ATVs. I've seen them walking with sticks. The sheep keep the flocks together. And Jesus does the same thing. When one of us wanders off, we read the scriptures in Luke 15, how he goes out after one of us. Not just to celebrate the one that ran away, but to bring us back to the flock. And the shepherd protects the flock. We see how David fought bears and lions in the scriptures as he shares that with Saul. We see how Jesus protects us, his sheep, by going to the cross. So the king is qualified. He's our leader. He's he's our shepherd. He has a comprehensive vision of the world. And the king will lead us to a preferred future. The king leads us to a preferred future. Now, I, I meet with confirmation students, which I adore every year. And a couple of years ago, we were meeting out in this room called the family room on a Wednesday afternoon. And we were talking about some of the things that make us afraid. And they all had to share their deepest fear. And one of our students said, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm not embarrassed to tell you guys, I'm afraid of the dark. And she went on to say, as a matter of fact, she dreamed of many things happening in the dark. None good, by the way. And she says, you know what? As a matter of fact, I wish it would never get dark. I wish it would never get dark again. Now, of course, you and I know sun comes up, sun goes down. It gets dark every single day. But the preferred future that the king leads us to, the preferred future that, that Christ talks to us about is light in the midst of a darkened world. We know that our world is darkened by sin. We know that our world is darkened by the brokenness between our relationships. We know that, that, that the world is darkened because people are turning away from the Lord. We know that the world is darkened because we so often think that our best solution to any problem is to take on a big fight. We know that we live in this darkened world. And God says, not only do I wish it would never get dark, I'm going to make it so it doesn't ever get dark again. God's preferred future for us is light all the time. And of course, we're talking about an inward light. Sun's still going to come up. Sun's going to still come down. Look what, what uh, the apostle says to us in John, 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness of all, at all. See, the king doesn't just lead us away from the darkness. He doesn't just lead us across the time zone so that, so that dark won't catch up with us. What he does is he replaces the darkness in our spirits and our souls with light. He takes the darkness away and shines his light into us. Our sins are removed from us and nothing is in front of us but his light. And all we need to do is choose to walk into it. So, so the king you see, has this preferred future, which is why it says in Isaiah 2, 5, that last verse that Keith read a few moments ago from Isaiah, says, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come claim the light of your life. The king prefers that you do. The king gives you opportunity and, and desires that your inclination would be. And the light is offered to all people, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. All they must do is walk into it. You see, there is a call and response. The Lord shines his light out and says, choose to walk in it. Otherwise, you're kind of on your own in the darkness that is this life. And I say this because it's important. The kingdom will be unified. 
See, we sometimes like to, re- to restrict the Lord's blessings to folks that look like us, act like us, live in the areas that we live in. We like to say that God is blessing us, blessing Iowa, blessing Cedar Rapids, blessing... You know what? The Lord doesn't restrict His blessing. Jesus refuses to restrict His blessing. He's a matter of fact, and part of the reason that we're using different colors of bread and different kinds of bread, He cast it out to the whole world. Every different culture, not just cultures where Christianity is, is prevalent or prevailing culture. He throws it all to, to anyone. His vision for his people is that there will be no Jew, no Gentile in the kingdom, but there will all be people that are, you know, that are ascribing to him and to his way. And so this communion visual that we use today is to remind you of the worldwide vision and mission that Christ died, not just for your sins, not just for mine, but for the sins of the whole world. So, all that lead us, leads us to this. The subjects have choices. If we have a king, that makes us a subject, and the subjects have choices. The first choice we have is that we can ignore the king. We can ignore the king. Millions of people ignore the king every single day. Pastor Keith and I, during this sermon series, have shared in this pulpit some statistics and analysis that talk about how some people ignore Christ every day, and they just say, you know what, I just don't have part of, uh, of him. But, but I'm, and I will talk to you in the sense that you need to go get them and bring them Christ. But I also want to talk to the church here for a minute. Because there is a way that the church ignores Christ as well. The ecclesia, the body of Christ. Sometimes we folks in the church, we ascribe to Christ and say that he's our king, yet we act not the least bit like he's the king. We neither give of ourself, our time, our treasure, our talents. We don't pray. We don't dig into scriptures. And in a lot of ways, then we become what the phrase that's going around today is, we become a Christian atheist. We're not those who read Psalm 14 and say, fools say there is no God. We just simply live our days and our lives as if there isn't one. We hope for the best. But in essence, we're ignoring the king. Now, another choice the subject of the king have is to resign to the fate of the day. Millions do. Millions resign to the fate of the day every day. They say, hey, the world's just cruddy. It's just yucky. There's bad things happening. There's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do about it. You know, my kids, they hate me. There's nothing I can do about it. Or whatever. And we just say, that's just the way the world is. The world is dark, and that's just the way it is. And, and, and many subjects of the king resign themselves to that fate. But the subjects of the king is supposed to embrace and obey now. You know, a moment ago, Keith read it. Vicki led us in that prayer where it says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, when we pray that God's will be done in our lives, we're praying that God's perfect purpose will be accomplished right now, right here in our lives. Not at some future off time, but that we might somehow be given the means and the opportunity to, to do that. Because when we, when we pray, <clears throat> thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're praying is we're saying God, allow us to help you accomplish your purposes because God's purposes on earth are largely accomplished by people who are willing to obey him, who are willing to follow him. And this part of the prayer offers ourselves to God's will and allows us to receive, now understand this, the means that God has to give us 
to accomplish his purpose. And that brings us fully to the mission of the church and to right here. Christians work for the kingdom, for the coming kingdom now. We don't wait. Christians work for the coming kingdom now. And the first thing we do is we lift high the king. We say, I am. He is my king. The great I am. He is my king. You know, some of you had a football game yesterday, and I even got some pom-poms handed to me today. Red pom-poms from people that were at the football game yesterday that apparently Kinnick Stadium wrapped itself in the flag, right? And probably chanted out USA, USA, and USA. We do that every four years when we have Olympics. We do that when something difficult happens in our company country we wrap ourselves up in the flag and say we're americans we pledge allegiance to america we pledge allegiance to the flag we wrap ourselves in that so the whole world can see it i think that's a good thing and if we are subjects of king jesus because when i wrap myself in the flag when i wave a pom-pom at a football game or something like that when i hold up a card so that somebody can take a flyover and make kinnick stadium look like a like 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 an american flag Is that not saying I pledge allegiance, I am an American and I am grateful for it and people can see it, it's an external sign? Do we do the same thing with our allegiance to Christ? If Christ is our king, is it obvious to others that Christ is the king of your life? See, when Christians work for the coming kingdom, they don't wait. They they lift high the king and they live as a valued subject right now. They live as a valued subject right now to the king. See, there's a day coming when God will remove all our sins. There's a day coming where God will make this all happen on his own time, but don't wait for him to act before we obey him. We need to live the best life now, and we need to promote the king's agenda. And the king's agenda has to do with transformation. I, I told this story in early service. Back in the days at Marion High School, I, I played for a coach named Robert Thurnus who was a great high school football coach. When I went on to college, I played for one of Iowa's worst college football teams at Iowa Wesleyan. We went year after year after year. We were able to manage a few victories every year. But by my senior year, I'd recruited half of the starters on the defense had gone to Marion High. So we were good. And we were starting to put victories in the column. And I remember once we went over, we won three games in a row at the beginning of the season. We'd gone over to Illinois College, and they were rated number one in the nation. Won three games in a row, number one in the nation. We went over to Illinois College. We weren't number one in the nation. They beat us 14 to 6. And I remember the bus ride home like it was yesterday, although it was 30 years ago. Our coach came by where the five of us Marion guys were sitting. And he walked up to us and said, I want to meet your high school coach someday. Like, why, why, coach? What's up? He says, all these guys back here, they're screwing around, and you guys can't live with it. You've been taught not to be able to live with the taste of victory. You've got this fire burning in your eyes that you'd go back and play that game right now, as tired as you are, if you could. I want to meet your coach. There was something burning up. I mean, you know, kudos to Coach Thurness for putting that in our spirit and all that kind of stuff. But there was something in us that, that, <clears throat> that showed out to the coach that said we had this inclination and intention to do something else. And I ask you this because that, that course comes and goes. But the king's agenda is for us to bring light in a dark world, a, light, a world where disappointment overcomes all the time. And I ask you, are there people in the world that watching you and seeing whatever fire it is that burns in your heart, whatever passion that burns in your eyes, that simply walk up to you and say, 
man, I want to meet your king. I want to meet your king because he puts something in you that I want to know in my life. So subjects of the king promote the king's agenda, and we recruit subjects. I have a really cool story to say there, but it's not as cool as communion. So I'm just going to tell you that when you've been recruited, your job is to make disciples. When we walk around the church and say, how did you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Very few people say, oh, I just thought of it myself one day. Usually they say, my dad brought me, my mom brought me, my cousin, my friend, another person. And I just say to you, it's probably your day to become that other person for someone that brings them to Christ. And of course, when we lift high the king, when we're valued subjects, we eat together at his Lord's table. Now, I gave you the preface to all of that earlier today. During the time of communion, uh, you're going to see the words on the screen talking about who Jesus is, and I pray that you'll become part of his worldwide mission if you haven't before. So let nothing else uh, happen. Uh, communion stewards, would you come forward, and let's receive the Lord's Supper.